Hello, and welcome to the Dusk to Dawn podcast. I'm your host, Dougie, and tonight I'll be taking you through what's been on my mind this week. Before we begin and get to the topic at hand, I'd like to begin with a little about this show and the basic idea behind it. I work graveyard shifts, and from home at that. In working from home, I have a lot of free time on my hands. This isn't a bad thing at all, but it's given me a lot more time to stew on things that I'm interested in than I had before. I can't really say I want to categorize this podcast as one thing or one topic, but instead I want to focus on the topics that are catching my attention, this week at least. I like film. I'm a bit of a lynch snob. Twin Peaks is one of my favorite shows, and I hold it close to my heart. I don't just hold myself to liking one genre, though. I understand taste is subjective, so even if I come off a bit elitist about, like, Twin Peaks, I have no issues with other people's taste. Games are also important to me, and I find myself more focused on games that have a heavy story and atmosphere. Bioshock, Prey, Beginner's Guide. I mean, I like Half-Life, too. I mostly like games that make you feel something. All I really need is something I can really latch onto story-wise, and I think I'll like it, usually. That's all I really want to go into about myself for now, but we're going to have a lot of time to get to know each other as we get more episodes going. Have you ever been lost in your own world? Ever convinced yourself something was real despite it obviously being so out there you'd never believe it in the right state of mind? I don't think I'm really qualified to speak about mental illness myself. I don't have any degrees. I haven't really researched it that far, but I just want to preface this episode with a bit of a disclaimer. The subject that we're talking about today has to do with someone with paranoid schizophrenia. I'm nowhere near qualified to talk about this, as I said, but this is only one part of who she is. Her history is a bit hard to gather, since the way information is conveyed is disjointed and out of order in some cases, but I'll try my best to sum her up. Gail Cord Schuler. You most likely don't know that name, but you may have seen her before. She was on Tosh.0 around the last elections that time of year, you know. I can't find the clip that was covering it exactly. She wasn't a very highly received episode, but I can only imagine the topics that she covered. This is where her big blow up in views came from. Gail's been around for quite a bit of time. Her obsession with Brent Spiner of Star Trek fame has gone on for at least 25 years. Brent Spiner is a clone of the original Brent Spiner. He was taken by the Jesuit Order, who in her universe are villains. She has called it an evil secret society that stands in opposition to Jesus Christ. They control a massive fleet of crafts that orbit the Earth, and were led by Zack Knight, who was eventually defeated and converted to the Church of Gale, and overthrown by Angelina Ballerina, who may or may not be a children's cartoon character. After this, Angelina was killed, and Laurie McBride took over as the leader of the Jesuits. Did I mention the Church of Gale? I think I mentioned it earlier. It's a church that she's the head of that opposes the Jesuit Order, but it's also the name of her spacecraft that fights the Jesuit Order back from orbit. Gale also has a marriage list of men, and this includes Brent Spiner, Vladimir Putin, Matthew McConaughey, Keanu Reeves, and Gerard Butler. She can't properly marry them because that's against the Bible, so they're on a list in the order of priority. As you all know, this isn't the case. Brent Spiner's fine, and there's not a fleet of spacecrafts orbiting Earth by the Jesuit order. I don't want to go into extreme depths about all the lore that Gale's created, because I think that that's where a lot of the appeal of watching and listening to her content comes from. Piecing this all together and trying to form the story itself. I want to go more into who Gale is as a person, and not what she has created. 
She follows a very strict set of rules that she calls the Gale Commandments, that her and her church have to adhere to, that sort of lead her life and lifestyle. These range from Thou Shalt Take Seroquel, which is a medication for her paranoid schizophrenia, to Thou Shalt Honor the Lord's Temple by Taking Time to Self-Groom, Bathe, and Stay Clean, and Thou Shalt Make a YouTube Video Every Week to Share Victories, Defeats, and Daily Struggles of Your Life. Gail has lived by this code since at least 2015, from what I can tell from her site, but, but most likely earlier than that. She also goes by the name Gabrielle Channa and pens books like Brent Spiner's Flames and Silver Skies. She has an Encyclopedia Dramatica article under this name if you want to check it out. If you know that site, you know what that's going to be. It's not really informative, but it's interesting. These novels that she writes, they range from romance to action to conspiracy novels about what really happened to Robin Williams. She sells them through Amazon. And while I haven't read them myself, I believe you should check them out. The names, the titles, the descriptions, everything in them just really stands out to me. And this is coming from the guy that reads Chuck Tingle. So do with that what you will. I could go through some of Gail's videos that I find popular, but I think the biggest issue that I have with that is that she's very coarse with the way that she talks, um, very uncensored, very stream of consciousness, and very bigoted. Gail will be completely fine throwing a racial slur or the n-word around, and while I heavily disagree with that, I do think her content is worth checking out. I think it's really interesting to get a look in the mind of Gail, because the way that she sees the world is so different than anything I've ever seen. It's this web of different orders and groups of people, celebrities that she's never talked to, sending her telepathic messages through her mind, and a church that she leads with hundreds of thousands of members, and it's just, it's so interesting to me. There's just really something about Gail that is entertaining. I can't say I agree with her, I can't say that I like her as a person, but I really do think that the content she puts out is something that I just want to take in and digest, I guess. I could spend all day going on about Gale, and I could list all these things like I said. I could go through all of her videos that I find most interesting, and all of her writing and that stands out to me, but I really think she's someone you have to form your own opinion on. I think you really need to take in what she makes by yourself. I just wanted to make a video to bring more light to her. I know I don't have like a big viewer base, this is my first episode of the podcast, but I thought she'd be very interesting to open up on. I didn't want to open up on like the Rat Man or some well-known thing that people have covered online. I didn't want to knock off some other YouTuber or something they'd already done. And I think that she's very much worth the time to check out. I also want to make note, while I'm saying I want to bring light to her, I do not want people to go to her channels and flame her and spam her and say horrible, horrible things. Gail doesn't deserve that. I She is just someone I find so interesting. I, I really genuinely think that you should just watch her channel. With that being said, I want to go a bit more freeform for the rest of it. I don't want to go as analytical for the rest of this episode. I just want to talk about some games, some shows, some media, podcasts, things I've been listening to, and things that have been getting me through these long, cold winter nights. Now, I think I want to start off with some games. We had Black Friday, Cyber Monday, the Steam, what was it, the Autumn, Fall, whatever they call it, sale, and I picked up a few games I got. Euro Truck Simulator. I got, what was that other one? I just picked up a ton of different titles, things that were under five bucks. I got Assassin's Creed Odyssey for like 25 bucks, I think. I picked up Life is Strange, Life is Strange Before the Storm, and Life is Strange 2. 
I think I'm going to go a bit more in-depth on 2 and Before the Storm in my next episode, because I have only gotten through two episodes of 2, and I was waiting to play Before the Storm until after. I think that's a little out of order, because Before the Storm is a prequel. I want to go into the first one, because this is my first time playing Life is Strange, and it's interesting because I always thought I was going to dislike it. I don't like Telltale games, and I know this isn't a Telltale game, but I've always heard it compared to Telltale games the most, where it's choose your path, make choices, and I always thought it was going to be nothing mattered. And one of the things about Life is Strange that I thought was really interesting is how impactful every choice you make is. I remember one of the choices I made early on in the game. It was Victoria, that's what her name was. Victoria Chase. She was the rich, snobby, stereotypical girl. That's how they present her at first, at least. You end up... Okay, so you need to go back to your dorm and you need to grab a flash drive, but she's blocking the front door with her friends. She tells you you can't come by. It's She has this huge animosity towards you. She calls you the uh, selfie whore of Blackwall, and she won't let you through. So you have the chance to spill some paint on her, ruins her sweater, and she gets up and lets you through and you have the chance to take a picture of her because she took an embarrassing photo of you or to apologize and tell her that you're sorry it happened to her and you see this small little soft side of her where she apologizes and lets you through and after that there'll be little glimpses that she likes you even though you'll be doing things that are very against her later on she'll show you the side that's softer just because of that one choice you made and i thought that was really interesting because i've never seen a game do that usually it's like you do a good thing and it'll be remembered for the next choice but then after that it'll just be forgotten but by the end game she was referencing the fact that you helped her and were nice to her even though she doesn't know you caused the paint to spill i really like that about the game i do apologize i should have done a spoiler warning earlier there are gonna be spoilers for the things that i talk about there was another choice that i wanted to talk about and it was the part where max can go back to save chloe's dad you do successfully do that but it causes this alternate timeline where chloe is going to die because of the choice you made she gets in a car crash she's paralyzed and her respiratory system is failing and while i don't think the choices mattered as much for that part because they just kind of didn't. It felt like I was kind of on autopilot. That part really pulled some heartstrings for me. It was very genuine, even though it was very hammed up. At the same time, it came off as this genuinely sad moment between Max and Chloe, where Max just kept trying to fix things for her, but they just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I won't go into heavy, heavy spoilers like what that choice is, but if you've played the game, you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to go into like a star system or a thumbs up system or like a 1 out of 10, but I would heavily recommend Life is Strange if you like anything story driven, if you like 90s cheese, you like Twin Peaks, X-Files, Doctor Who, you like all the Tumblr stuff, because that is definitely in the game. It came out in 2015, I think. It's set in 2013, but it, it's a little dated with some of the humor, but I think that's just because of, like, with how fast things move on the internet, you can't be topical and timeless at the same time. It just, it just can't happen. I would say go play it, like, especially if it comes on sale again for the winter sale, go for it. You'd buy it, play it. I got it for five bucks for the whole first season. I'm really looking forward to beating the second one. I've played about half of it, and so far it's really good. They took out the uh, time reversal mechanic that I really liked from the first one, which has been why it's been a bit harder for me to actually sit down and play it, because it's a lot less like the first game than it is like a Telltale game, which makes it a bit hard for me. It's just not my own personal taste. 
After that, I have a couple more topics I want to go into. First off, Kingdom Hearts 3. I finally got to playing that. My roommate got a PS4 and I picked up Kingdom Hearts 3 because I played a lot of Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2 when I was a kid. I was the hot topic, trip pants wearing, face makeup, pierced everything. I was that kid. I definitely was lol random and I loved myself some Kingdom Hearts. That's not to say I don't like it anymore. I go back and play 2 every once in a while, but I was really excited to get Kingdom Hearts 3, and I think that Kingdom Hearts 3 for me has some of the same issues that Final Fantasy 15 had for me. Most people, if you follow Square at all, probably know this, but Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts both kind of had the same development cycle, where they were tossing around the idea for a long time. I think 15 was supposed to come out as either 12 or 13 years ago. They had a trailer in like 2011, 2012 about it. There was teasers about it in the original Dissidia, and Kingdom Hearts 3 has been around since what? The Kingdom Hearts 2 came out, they've been teasing it, they've been coming out with side games, they had 3D Dream Drop Distance, they had Recoded, 358 over two days, which I will defend until I die. The multiplayer makes up for all the bad in that game. There's just something about 3 that really irks me. It might be the fact that I'm older, and it's not made for me, which I know it's not made for me, but it feels like they want to appeal to me. It opens up, I'm sorry, this is gonna be a little bit more stream of consciousness with how I talk about it. It opens up to a non-tutorial world. It opens up and it kind of just throws you into Yen Sid's castle like you played the last game. It assumes that you've played every single one of them. There's no Riku, no Kairi, it's just Sora, Donald, and Goofy sitting in Yen Sid's castle and Yen Sid sends you out to do a test to remember something. I don't know what Sora forgot because I didn't play 3D Dream Drop Distance. I've read summaries of it, but apparently Sora forgot something. So Yen Sid sends you out to go try to remember it. And instead of going to the Destiny Islands or Twilight Town or another original setting, it sends you to Olympus. You go to Olympus, it's falling apart, and I'm amazed. The animation looks great. It's very snappy. Like, the way they move reminds you of a cartoon, even though it's in 3D. The faces are animated really well. I like the graphics. They were impressive for the art style they were going for. The gameplay is great. There is a lot of good combat changes and a lot of bad ones at the same time. Um, if you played Final Fantasy 15 or you played Kingdom Hearts 2, it's very similar to 15 compared to 2, but it does feel like an updated version of the Kingdom Hearts fighting system. But what I was gonna say is the part that feels really off for me. Like I said, it just kind of throws you in and assumes you know what's going on. I don't know why they made that choice. I think it's because it's been so long. They kind of just assume you've been obsessing over and replaying through everything, but something felt off. I don't know if it was the different writers. They had all the original voice actors, which they were on point about everything. Hearing Haley Joel Osment play Sora again was a shocker. But I get through that first world, I fight some titans, and it feels like the power spike happens really quick. Everything is really easy and simple to fight, but the game is trying to convey that Sora's a lot weaker now, like he lost his power. It's just very confused. There were a lot of cutscenes that lasted for like 20 minutes, and it just kind of for- you, like, it doesn't force you to watch them. You can skip them, but you're playing the game for the story, so you can't really skip them. It felt like the game was holding me hostage a lot, because for the first couple of hours, instead of a tutorial, I was getting story shoved down my throat. There was no natural conveying of plot elements. And I know Kingdom Hearts 2 did that a lot, and Kingdom Hearts 1 did that too, where near the end there were a lot of cutscenes to tell all the story. But I think I kind of excused that a lot more because that was PlayStation 2 era, when you 
had to save on data and you had to pre-render a lot of things so that you could fit it on the disc. This felt wrong, like the way it was doing it just didn't feel right. It felt like it could have been done a lot more smooth and while I'm enjoying the gameplay I don't know what's happening in the story. There's 13 Ansoms and Xemnases and that's all fine. I just, maybe it's the fact that I grew up and I'm trying to recapture what I had when I was younger, but I really think that something's missing. Also, there's no Olympus Coliseum, and <laughs> that was my favorite part of Kingdom Hearts 2 was the Olympus Coliseum. No Sephiroth battle, and there's a distinct lack of Final Fantasy characters. All the things everyone else has said. I haven't beat it yet, so I'm not gonna give a full score, but if you're on the fence about it, I would I would wait till it gets cheaper. I bought it for 40 bucks, which is a markdown from the full 60, but I would wait. I would wait till it hits at least 30 if you are on the fence about getting it. If you're like, oh, I want to relive my childhood, don't go to it to relive. You shouldn't do that with any media. You shouldn't try to relive your childhood by watching something because you're never going to have that same feeling. This is just very exceptionally different. It's not bad, and I don't want to say it's bad. It's just not what I was hoping for. I think there's one more thing I want to cover before we just kind of wrap this up, and uh, it's what everyone's been talking about the past month or so since Disney Plus came out, Mandalorian. I don't have Disney Plus. I have been going over to my friend's house, who will remain anonymous for my own sake and theirs. I like it. I like it a lot. I've been very into the extended universe of Star Wars for a long time. I love it. They've changed a lot of things, obviously, because, you know, Disney condensed all of the canon down. Slimmed it down so they have more of a Bible to go off of. I never knew that I wanted a Star Wars bounty hunter western movie. And that is what this show is. This show is true grit. It's every old cowboy movie with laser guns and Jedi, aliens, adorable little baby Yoda, whatever you call it. Everyone's calling it Baby Yoda, or I think it's the child in the credits. It's good. It's the same reason I liked Rogue One, which is another controversial topic, I feel like. It's not afraid to be a bit more gritty. It's uh, not your daddy's Star Wars, which uh, is usually something I really hate. The forced edgy sort of feel it doesn't feel forced in this it just feels natural he's a mandalorian he is a bounty hunter his entire job is take bounties don't question why and the conflict is very straightforward it's what if you question the morals and ethics of why you're doing what you're doing it's entertaining it's really good i barely know the character but i love him i remember the scene that really got me was i think it's the second or third episode when there's all of the uh, jawas in their big sand crawler and he's sitting there with the sniper and he's like scoping it out and like in any other star wars thing when they're using the scope on a gun they're usually just like looking it over or they're holding binoculars and looking over a scene. He's looking him over, and they've stripped his ship down, and he just blasts them. He disintegrates them. He fucking murks those things. You just see their clothes fly off, and they're gone. And I remember seeing that. We had all smoked the devil's lettuce, and I just remember screaming, just, No! No! As he just gunned down Jawas. And there was something about it that was just so funny, because those guys, they just, they've always been little thieves. They tear apart ships and rip them apart, and it's funny to just see someone actually retaliate. I really like it. Like I said, abstaining from a rating system, but if you want, I would wait till the season's over and then get that seven-day Disney Plus free trial, watch it, and then cancel your subscription. I guess you could watch a, what is that called, Smart House? I think that's it for the week. I want to try to do this either weekly or bi-weekly. I'm going to be shooting for weekly from the start. I'm going to really hash out an update schedule. I'm going to be posting that on Twitter and announcing it in my next update, which hopefully is next week or the following week. I'm going to be shooting for Wednesday mornings because, like I said, I work overnight and I'm going to be uploading it at the end of my day. 
As for time frames, I'm really gonna try and nail down a time to upload it because I want to be consistent with it. For any updates, aside from what I say in my episodes, please check out my Twitter. I'm really new to using Twitter, but I'm gonna try and keep it consistent and keep updating there. Any subscribe would be great. A like, a share, hitting that bell icon if you're on YouTube. Thank you for listening. This is the first ever podcast I've done, so I apologize if the audio quality isn't up to par, but I am going to try and improve and practice on that to really get it down. Thank you for listening, and please, don't be a stranger. Thank you.